Hello, hello. Good morning, Cerritos Baptist. Uh, it is truly a privilege to be up here sharing the message with you this morning. Since I'm still pretty new, some of you may not know who I am, so I'd like to introduce myself. I am Abe Kim. I joined the CBC staff at the start of this, this month, September, uh, as our new uh, outreach pastor. Um, this week, I actually had a like uh, last-minute, well, I woke up Tuesday morning, my tooth was aching, um, ended up finding out that I went to go to the dentist and everything, found out that the root canal that I did on it didn't work, and so I needed to actually extract the tooth, and so I went to an oral surgeon, an oral surgeon said I need to extract the tooth, but to, in order to get to it, I needed to take out my wisdom tooth, but then my mouth was too small, so they couldn't really get to everything, so they were just like working at it, like, like hammering away. Um, and so I got it all out, and so I'm good, but then they said my swelling would continue for a week. And so um, the swelling has gone down, but um, I might sound a little different today. So just want you to just bear with me today as I continue to speak. And so it's kind of irritating as I speak, but hopefully I can continue to just be able to speak whatever God wants me to say. So, when it became official that I'd be joining the staff here at CBC, um, I really, really wanted to make sure that that transition would be so seamless that you wouldn't even notice, right? I, I knew that CBC has been doing just such amazing things, so I really was cognizant not to disrupt any momentum that this church was doing. So, Ashley, my wife, and I were really discerning, like, what could, what, what, what could I do to make sure this was as smooth as possible? And so we thought, and we discussed, and we really just thought for many hours, and then finally we came up with the plan. And the first part of the plan was that when I got that first opportunity to preach a message, to get up on this stage, I wanted to make sure that I was wearing the official CBC male pastor <laughs> uniform, a short sleeve button-down shirt, all right? For some of you, I've, I've made it so seamless that when you look at me, you're like, wow, Pastor Eric looks really different today. He looks a lot shorter, right? Or you're like, oh, wait, that looks like Pastor Brandon, but it looks like he's been on a six-month fast. Like, why does he not look as ripped as he normally looks, right? But no, 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 I just want to clarify, I'm the new pastor, Pastor Abe, and so just there's, there's no confusion at all. All right, but all jokes aside, it is truly an honor to, and a privilege to just be able to be on the stage and to be able to serve here as one of your pastors. Um, it's been two years since I've been in a official pastoral capacity, um, and it's felt like this long and arduous journey uh, of waiting for God to be able to provide another ministry opportunity for myself. And it's really felt like I've been like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and just waiting for God to, to bring me to the promised land. And I won't go too much into it yet. Um, I hope to share a little bit more about that in the you know, future months. But all to say, again, I'm just truly grateful to, to be here, uh, to be able to be a part of this church and to be able to serve with you all. Uh, so Pastor Eric told me for this first message um, that I could share a little bit about my story, uh, but then also share my perspective on our short sermon series uh, about kingdom life. So hopefully I, I don't go too long for this message. So first, I, I did want to share about how our family ended up at CBC. So about 10 years ago, our family had moved to Seattle from the East Coast. So our family's originally from the East Coast, New York, New Jersey. 
And I had an opportunity to serve as the lead pastor for a Korean American church in the Seattle area. And so I served there for a couple of years, and then I ended up moving on to another church called Lighthouse Christian Church. Um, I served there as the associate pastor and then as, their, as the executive pastor. And then about two years ago, while we were in this global pandemic, this big disruption uh, of COVID, there was an opportunity for us to relocate to Southern California, and so we decided to move out here closer to family and just enjoy the, the, the sun and the sunny weather. And, and I'll admit the, uh, the cloudy and the dreary weather in Seattle was just wearing on me, so I, to get an opportunity to move down here, uh, it was something that we pounced on. And so uh, ended up somehow ending up in Irvine, California. And so one of the sad parts of that was that I had to leave my, my position at Lighthouse and, um, and for the last two years we're just waiting for, for God to provide another opportunity. So uh, while we were in that transitional period, I remember we were checking out a bunch of different churches, um, trying to find a church that would be a good fit for our family. And we finally settled on a church that was probably nearby in which I knew some of the pastors there from different ministry things that we've done. And so I thought, okay, I'll attend this church and maybe just see if this could be a good fit for our family. It could be our home base. So we attended it for several months. And then one day, one of our friends from Lighthouse was like, hey, you know what? If you haven't found a church yet, you should check out Cerritos Baptist. You should go there. I have some contacts there. You should go, go ahead and check them out. And so I said, all right, if we have a random Sunday, we'll go and we'll, go check, we'll check it out. And so it was in October 2021. We had a random Sunday, an open Sunday to come. And so we came out. We, we went out to visit CBC. And so as we walked into CBC, one of the first two peoples that greeted us was uh, Tina and, and Steph. And so they were so warm and welcoming. They greeted our girls. I have three daughters. And they just welcomed them with so much love and, and care. Apparently, Tina has told us later on that, that we looked like we were new because we were so dressed up. And <laughs> apparently, like, our, our girls just like to wear dresses and, and whatnot. And generally, I feel like our family likes to dress up on Sundays. And so she said that we looked, we looked pretty new out there, right? So well, we came in, and Tina and Steph just gave us a tour of the children's ministry, and, and they were just so great. They were just so loving. And then finally, as we're talking, they found out that we were out in Irvine. And then they would say, wow, you guys are out in Irvine? Wow, that's so far from here. Wasn't that a big drive, like a long drive? And we're like, yeah, it, I guess it was a long drive, right? I think we ended up meeting some other people, and every single time that we would meet them, they'd be like, oh, you're out in Irvine? That, wow, that's so far from here. You, you made it out here? I was like, yeah, we made, made the drive. It wasn't that far. It's okay. I think we got that comment like 10 times that day, right? So anyways, we went to the service, and, and that Sunday, Pastor Brandon was speaking, and he gave a great message. So afterwards, I decided to go and say hello to him. So I introduced myself, and we just started talking, and I just told him that it was a great message. And of course, in our conversation, it comes up again that we're out in Irvine. So Brandon goes, wow, you guys are coming from Irvine? That's so far from here, right? And so 
I was like, yep, yeah, yeah. And then, so then Brandon proceeds to give me a bunch of recommendations of churches that we should visit that were closer to us. So he's like, you know what church you should check out? Mariner's Church. You should check them out. Or you should check out this other church. You know, it's, it's great there too, right? I'm not going to lie. I came away from that conversation. I was like, does he not want us to come here? <laughs> Is he trying to convince us to go somewhere else? <laughs> But I, I knew that he was just trying to help. He was just recommending places that were close by. We also got a chance to meet the other pastors. We got to meet Pastor Eric, Pastor Donna, Pastor Nick when he was here. And then we came away from our first visit thinking, wow, this is such a great church. Everyone is so loving and welcoming. We had just such a positive impression of Cerritos Baptist Church. But we knew as well, like, you know, we were just visiting. And so we were like, you know what? CBC is just so far away. <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. So we went back to attending our church that was nearby, and we continued to attend this church for a few more months. And then it was about in late January 2022, we had attended this church for nearly six months now. And we started to feel like maybe this church wasn't the best fit for us. Um, as I said, we were there for six months and after service each Sunday, we would always, we would pick up our kids from the children's ministry, and then we would linger around to see if we can just kind of fellowship with other families. Uh, but in those six months, uh, not one family ever came to interact or talk to us. Uh, some of the pastors that I knew, they would occasionally come and say hello, but no other family ever just said hello to us. And this wasn't a huge church, it was, you know, a mid-sized church. Um, but we just felt like we weren't seen. And then one day, one Sunday in January, we had been going to the church for six months. We dropped off our kids at the children's ministry. And normally we would always drop off our kids. Like we were the, the kids would be the first few kids in the, in the ministry. And so that particular Sunday we were going, we were checking in our kids. And then the children's pastor of the church was there at the check-in desk. And then when she greeted us, she greeted us as if we were new to the church. So she was like, oh, welcome to the church. You're like, it's, it's so great to see you. And we were like, wait a minute. We've been here for six months, and they don't know who we are, right? And so we made that decision that night. We are like, you know what? I think it's time for us to check out another church. So we decided, you know what? We had such a great impression of CBC. Why don't we go to check out CBC? So that next Sunday, we go and we visit CBC for our second time. Again, it's been about three months since our last visit. And so we just assumed that everyone would have forgotten us by then. And so they probably forgot about that family from Irvine. And so we get to CBC. We walk into the children's ministry table. And there's Tina sitting at the table. She sees us. She stands up and she says, Oh, look, it's the Kim family from Irvine. <laughs> Welcome back! And then Ashley and I just looked at each other, and we could just tell, like, we were both saying the same thing. We started to tear a little bit in our eyes, and we we're like, wow, we feel seen. We feel seen. We feel like they know who we are. 
We soon saw uh, Pastor Brandon, and he welcomed us back, and then he told us that Pastor Eric was on sabbatical, but he was like, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to tell Pastor Eric that you guys came. He's going to be so excited, and we're like, again, we're like, wow, like, they actually remembered us. They actually cared about us, and, and apparently Pastor Brandon told us that they actually met as a staff after we had visited that one time in October, and they were like, oh, like, did you guys meet the Kim family? They were such a cool family. But they're probably not coming back because, you know, they live in Irvine, (laughs) and it's just so far. I'm just kidding. But all to say, CBC, we thank you for welcoming us um, and just showing us so much love and care. Um, After that visit, we decided to stay with CBC, and then we felt like, okay, wherever God would lead us, you know, we'll go, and this will be our home base for now. Um, And now it's like, it's just an answered prayer that instead of having to leave CBC, I get to stay here at CVC and to serve here as one of your pastors. So just to say, again, you know, I'm so grateful uh, for you guys and for the love that, that we've experienced at this church. And I share this story, yes, to share about how we personally got here, but also because this story ties into my message this morning about how we can continue to live this kingdom life for God and how we're able to reach out to others. Uh, we've been in a short sermon series about the kingdom life and what it means to be a disciple that pursues kingdom life with God, under God, and for God. Pastor Brandon spoke a couple weeks ago and what it looks like to, to pursue the kingdom, the kingdom life, right? What, it, what that looks like. And then Pastor Eric last week talked about what it looks like to live this life with God, under God, and then for God. And today, I just actually wanted to give a short encouragement and challenge about how we could live for God by expanding the kingdom life to others so that others may be able to join in to this kingdom, right? And to also enter into the mission of God, right? And and a bigger emphasis on the for God aspect of this. Uh, I recently finished a class at... um, in my doctor of ministry program at Fuller Theological Seminary, and it was about the mission of God. And I won't bore you too much with any details uh, about that, but there was this Latin phrase called missio dei, which is a theological term that is translated as the mission of God. And essentially, the term refers to this idea that God is ascending God who has a mission for the world. And that mission is a core component of the identity of the Christian church, us as disciples. As Jesus was with his disciples, he called them by saying in Mark 1, 17, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or how we commonly know it, I will make you fishers of men. But from the very beginning, right, Jesus makes it clear that in order to be a disciple of Jesus, right, there's this outreach component to the kingdom life. The first disciples knew that they were called to reach out to others. They were to be fishers of men. Maybe that was what actually made it attractive for them. I I don't know. But they knew from that very beginning moment that discipleship requires a life that lives out this outward mission, this outreach mentality, right, was always associated with discipleship. As Jesus journeyed and taught the disciples for two years, he showed and he taught them what it looks like to live this life of discipleship. Ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies, 
but then he's resurrected from the dead, and then he actually comes and he reveals himself back to the disciples once again, and then finally, he, after some time, he ascends back into heaven. But before he ascends back into heaven, he gives another final, final command to the disciples with the great commission in Matthew 28, 19. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus imparts a mission for his disciples to go out into the world and share about Jesus, making more disciples, more followers of Jesus. That's the same mission that we are actually called out to do, to live out as well. Part of the kingdom life is to be on mission for God. But I think the question that many of us have is, what does that even look like, right? And so I want to actually look at a short passage from when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And it looks, and I want to turn your attention to Matthew 5, 13 to 16. It's a short, very short passage. So Matthew 5, 13 to 16. And it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it in its, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the first part of this message, it, it says that we are called to be salt of the earth. There, there's two subtle aspects to our understanding of what it means to, to be salt. Normally, when we think of salt, we think of it as something that is to add flavor right, to our food. My youngest, Audrey, A5, loves salt, right? We often, she's just, anytime she has food, she wants to take the salt, and she's like, right? And we often have to scold her for putting too much salt, but she would just put salt on everything. I'm like, it's like, stop it, Audrey. No, no, that's good. Do you want some, like, soup with your salt? And you're like, come on, like, stop salting it. But she just loves her, her food, just crazy salted, right? But there's this thought, as a salt of the earth, we are called to add more flavor to this world. But in order to do that, that salt needs to retain its distinctive characteristic of being salty. It says in the passage, if salt loses its saltiness, it can't be made salty again, so it's no longer useful. So implicitly, the idea is that in order for us to be effective, like to be effective salt, we need to remain distinctive. We need to have that flavor. We need to have that saltiness, right, as we're compared to the world. In that as we live our lives with God and under God, we are countercultural. We are set apart, different and distinct, with values that are rooted in our obedience to God. That we are able to bring out the flavor in, in this world. So as we live our lives differently, it gives a better perspective on how to live this life to the outside culture and to the world. Right? Where we live in a world that says that you should only look out for yourself. Look out for yourself and your family. That's all you should care about, right? We live in that kind of world. But instead, for us, we have a different perspective where we know that in order to be first, you actually have to be last, right? Instead of being self-centered and selfish, we are called to be self-giving, sacrificial. In a culture that promotes materialism and greed, 
we act in a way where we live our life with contentment and generosity. In a, in a world that teaches that it's okay that if someone wrongs you, it's okay to wrong them back, right? It's okay to seek revenge. But we live a, li- we live a life where we say it's the way of forgiveness and redemption. Totally countercultural. And it's with that distinctiveness we add flavor to this world. We show that there's another way to living this life. Kingdom living. That's one aspect of what it looks like to be the salt of the earth. The other subtle aspect of being salt of the earth is is that salt was used as an agent to stop deterioration. We usually think of salt, right, again, normally because it just adds flavor. But another aspect of what salt does is that it stops foods and, and meats and, and fish from decaying faster. In order to keep meats you know, from, for a longer amounts of times, uh, it would, would get salted because salt had this preservative quality about it. In the olden times, they didn't have freezers or, or refrigerators, so salt was their natural way of preserving food. In the same way, the calling to be salt of the ref- of the earth refers to this idea that as followers of Jesus, we see the corruption and the decay in our world, and so we are called to be the salt of the earth, to help in counteracting that decay that happens. Right? It isn't hard to see the brokenness in our world. You turn on the nightly news and you see how sin has pervaded our whole entire world. And so Jesus teaches us as the salt of the earth, we are called to be these agents of justice, When we see injustices happening around us, it's a calling for us to stand against it, to not sit idly by and do nothing, but instead God is calling us to to be like salt, take active steps in going and counteracting that brokenness or that decay. When we see people groups being oppressed or taken advantage of, the calling is for us to stand against it. When we see oppressive racism take place in our society, we're called to fight against that. When we see people go hungry, we are called to find ways or solutions to feed the hungry. When we see injustices happening around us, we are called to take action and fight against it. And so the calling to be salt of the earth is also to become agents of God's justice and compassion as well. There's a social component to being salt of the earth. And my desire and hope as the new outreach pastor is to maybe just bring up ideas opportunities where we can actually function as salt of the earth in being a people that counteract the corruption and injustices that we might see in the world. But the challenge that Jesus gives us, though, is that if you lose that saltiness, you are no longer distinctly salty, right? Then you lose your purpose. And those thoughts get tossed away. But instead, Jesus is calling us to be a kind of salt that lives counterculturally, that lives so differently, functions in a way with kingdom values that you bring that extra flavor, that you bring that ways in which you can stop the decay that's happening. That's called the calling to be salt. The second aspect of this passage is that Jesus calls us to be the light of the world. And the purpose of the light, of course, is to shine the way in the darkness. So in our passage, it says that we are to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good deeds and glorify God. As a light, we are pointing the glory to our God. When people see the light that we shine, it's supposed to direct them to Jesus. But not only that, Jesus says that before that, no one actually takes a lamp and hides it under a bowl, right? 
Instead, you, right, you, you put the lamp on a th- its stand so that it magnifies the light. It makes its reach even further. The calling of the, as the disciples was that they would go and be lights onto this world, right? pointing others to the love of Jesus. The way in which we love and the way in which we act should always point people to God and allow them to experience the grace of God for, their some, for themselves. But yet many of us, I think we fear uh, maybe being seen as weird or decide it's better to actually hide our light and not shine it. I remember back when I was in high school, uh, there was a thing called prayer at the flagpole. Um, I still think it exists today. I think it's now called see you at the pole. I don't know if anyone's heard of that. But what it was was that it was a time in, in the year where all the students would go and meet at the flagpole in the morning, and then they would pray. They would pray for their school, pray for their classmates, pray for what's going on in the world, whatever it might be. And I remember I was talking to a church friend who happened to go to the same high school as me, and then they, they were asking me, they're like, are you going to go to the prayer at the flagpole? And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't know if I, I want to go. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to go because I was scared. I was scared that if I went, then maybe people would see me as like a Jesus freak, or they would see that I'm a Christian, and they would make fun of me, or I wouldn't be as popular. So I remember just kind of waffling with the idea, and I was just like, do I go, do I not go? I finally decided I'm going to be courageous, and I'm going to go. And so I remember I went that morning, I went, and I was just pleasantly surprised, because then I met all these other students that I didn't know were Christian, were Christian. And so I, I got to go spend time with them. I prayed with them um, just for over the school. And it was just a really good experience. But I just remember that fear that I had, that I didn't want to shine my light because I was afraid that people would see me as being weird. But I think sometimes we have that fear as well, that we don't want to shine our light because maybe we don't want to be seen differently. We don't want to be outed as a Christian. And this is kind of our form of persecution, but it, it is real, right? Where there is maybe that fear that you, don't, you want to be more accepted, and so we, we fear sh- shining our light. My middle daughter, Alexis, A4, is our family's evangelist. Uh, I love her growing faith and her growing desire to have others learn about Jesus. Uh, just this past year, Alexis decided on her own that during recess, recess, she was going to go around and just randomly ask her classmates, are you a Christian? Right? And if they said yes, she would cheer and she'd say, yay, right? we're, we're both Christians. Right? But then if they said no, she would ask them, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to know about Jesus? And so she, she did that one day. She decided on her own. She just went around recess. She even actually asked her second grade teacher at the time. She said, are you a Christian? And she was like, uh, yeah, I think so. I go to church every time, you know, once in a while. And so she was like, yay, you're a Christian. But then two of her other close friends, she asked them. She said, do you, are you a Christian? And they said, no. And she said, well, if you want to be a Christian, you can come to my church. And so we wanted to invite them to our, you know, this last year's, VBS, and they said that they would come, but unfortunately, just schedules didn't work on, said they couldn't come. But our Alexis, she was just born an evangelist, and and I should have known earlier that she would be like this because she understood the concept of what it meant to be a light at, at a really early, early age. When she was about four or five years old, 
Uh, she would love singing worship songs uh, that she would learn at church. And she would just sing it to herself, and she would just sing them, right? And at the same time, she would actually spend a lot of time with my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law happens to be a huge Rihanna fan. Anyone else a Rihanna fan? Okay. And so while I was hanging out with Alexis, he would listen to Rihanna songs with her, and she would sing along and, and whatnot with them. But one day, I'm driving with Alexis in the car, and I ask her if she wants to listen to any songs or put on any worship songs for us to sing together. And so she exclaims, the song that she wants to sing is Diamonds. And I'm like, what song? She's like, the, the song that Cal Fu, and that's what they call my brother-in-law, the, the, the song that he plays for us. And I go, I'm like, Alexis, that, that's not a worship song. That's just a song that Rihanna sings. And she's like, no, it is. Shine bright like a diamond, shine bright like a diamond, like diamonds in the sky. And then she proceeds to explain to me, it's a song about how we're supposed to shine Jesus' love to others. And so that's why we shine bright like a diamond. Wow, right? I was so impressed at her theological understanding of what it means to be a light of the world, right? that we should proudly shine forth God's love to others, that light that we shine would make others come to know and love Jesus. That's a challenge for us as well, to shine bright like a diamond, shine forth God's love to those around us and allow them to come into a relationship with Jesus. That's how we can live for God. And so the calling for us as a church, as disciples of Jesus, is to be the salt and light for the world. When we talk about this kingdom life, the calling for us as disciples is that we live for God by being salt and light to the world, drawing in others to receive the love of God for themselves. I want to just share this final story for us, and I love telling the story uh, that Tony Campolo tells. Tony Campolo is, uh, you know, just a a well-known speaker. He's a preacher and professor from the Philadelphia area, and he often tells this story, and maybe you might have heard this story before. Uh, But he shares about this one week where he is a guest speaker at a conference, a Christian conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. And uh, if you're from the East Coast, you know that it's a pretty long distance, right, a pretty big air flight, uh, you know, to go from the East Coast all the way to Hawaii. I think it's like 10 hours, 9 hours, right? And then also the, the, jet, you know, the time difference will create this, this jet lag for you. And so that particular night, the first night that he was there, Tony could not fall asleep. Uh, he was tossing and turning in his bed um, all, all the way until 3 in the morning, so he decided that he'd just go out for a walk and see if he could find a bite to eat. And so he's walking all over the area where the hotel was, but there was just no, no area that was open. And so he keeps walking around. He gets outside the area of the hotel. He ventures out a little bit, and he gets to maybe like a sketchy area, a sketchy neighborhood, finds this dinky little diner uh, that was still open. And he walks into the diner. He finds this big Hawaiian dude with grease and stains all over his apron, and he was wearing this name tag, and it said the name Harry. So Tony walks in, he sits down in the counter, and they say that Tony says that he's a big germaphobe, so he was like, I just don't want to touch the menu, I don't want to, like, I don't know what I, what I could eat here, but the place just looks really dirty. So instead, he just goes to, to the guy, Harry, and he's like, hey, can I just get maybe a donut and some coffee? So then he goes and he sits down and gets the coffee, and, and he starts drinking and eat, eating the donut. And then it's about 3.30 in the morning, 
when the door swings open and eight prostitutes come into the diner. And they end up surrounding Tony at the counter and they're loud and boisterous. They're talking about some really crude and obscene things. And so, so Tony starts to feel uncomfortable. And he's thinking in, the head, in his head, this is not a good scene to be in a you know, Christian speaker coming and now surrounded by these prostitutes, right? So he's like, oh, shoot, I got to just eat, eat my food and get out of here as fast as I can. When suddenly he overhears the conversation that's going on. And the one of the women next to him says, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend who was sitting next to her or standing next to her responded in this nasty tone. She's like, what do you want from me? Would you want me to give you a birthday party or something? Right? What do you expect? Sing you happy birthday or something? And she's like, no, that's not what I meant. I just wanted to say that it's just my birthday tomorrow and you know, I just don't want anything from you. I just wanted to let you know it was my birthday. I've never had a party my whole entire life. Why would I expect you to, to give me a party? So Tony hears this conversation. He ends up making a decision that moment. He says, he thinks to himself, well, you know, maybe we should do something for this woman. So finally, all the women leave, and he goes over to the big guy, Harry, and he says to him, do those women come here a lot? And Harry replies, yeah, they come here every single day at 3.30 in the morning, right? And so then Tony says, the, the one sitting next to me, does she come here, you know, standing next to me, does she come here every night? And Harry's like, yeah, yeah, she does too. Her name's Agnes. So, but why, why are you asking all these questions? So Tony tells Harry, it's because she just said that her birthday is tomorrow. And I was thinking, why don't we do something to surprise her? Why don't we have a birthday party for her? Harry's like, wow, that's actually a great idea, right? So then he goes and he yells over to his wife who's in, who's in the back room and he shouts out, hey, hey, come over here. This guy has this really great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday, and this guy wants us to go in with him and throw a huge birthday party for her tomorrow night. Harry's wife comes out, and she's like, she's like, that's a wonderful idea. Agnes is such a sweet, sweet girl. That would be so nice to be able to give her a birthday party. And so Tony says, all right, let's do it. Let's go. So uh, you know, she sorts out all the plans. He's like, I'm going to get a poster. I'm going to get all these things. I'll go find a place to buy a cake. And then Harry's like, no, 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 no. I got the cake. All right, I make a killer cake. Leave that to me. So Tony's like, all right, works for me. Let's go. Let's make this party happen. And so finally, the next day happens. They all get there like at 2 in the morning, and they're all getting ready, putting up all the decorations that time. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and then now the place is just filled with people. Apparently, the word had gotten out that th there was going to be a birthday party. And so it was like all the different other prostitutes in the area were there in that room. And so Tony's like, oh, again, this might be a bad look for me as a Christian speaker coming here in a room full of, of prostitutes. By 3.15 in the morning, the place is packed with everybody, and they're just waiting and waiting. And finally, 3.30 comes. And all Agnes and her friends start coming in. And that's when everyone screamed at the top of their lungs, Happy birthday! And Agnes, she just froze at the scene, right? Her mouth fell open, her legs started, seemed to buckle, and she was just stunned. She was about to fall over, but her friends hauled her up and they brought her to a table. And then as she sat, this crowd of people just began singing happy birthday to her. And as they were singing, Agnes' eyes began to, to moisten, and she's like starting to cry. 
And then Harry comes out from the back door with a cake that has 39 candles on it. And then when Agnes sees the cake, she just starts to weep, right? Weep with joy. And then Harry stands over Agnes and he impatiently says, I blow out the candles. Everyone's wanting to eat, right? He hands over Agnes the knife. And then Agnes is like, actually, hold on. Can, can we not cut the cake? She's like, can I just, can I actually just take this cake home? And Harry's like, ah, it's your birthday. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's your cake, right? And so she goes, Agnes takes the cake. She goes and she says, I, I live nearby. I just want to bring it home. She goes, she brings it home. She leaves the room. And now everyone's just standing there in awkward silence. And they're like, what do we do now? So Tony, being a pastor, he's like, mm, why don't I pray? So he's like, I'll lead us in a time of prayer. And so he goes and he prays a blessing over Agnes for her birthday. And then afterwards, he finishes the prayer. And then Harry goes over to him and he's like, hey, you never told me that you were a pastor. What kind of church do you belong to? And then Tony paused for a moment and then answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited for a moment and said, no, you don't. Right? There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all, wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning? Wouldn't we all want to be part of a church that acts like the church? A church that cares and loves on the lost, the least, and the last? CBC, the challenge for us today is to become more like the church the way that God intended the church to be. As we live this life for God, we would resemble the church in the way that God intended for it to happen, right? And let me be clear. I'm not saying, CBC, we need to throw birthday parties for prostitutes, okay? You know, if you want to do that, great. But what I'm saying is, the challenge for us is, how can we love others and each other in such a way that people are more willing to receive the love of God, right? Can our church become this safe place, a welcoming place that all people from all backgrounds would be able to feel welcomed and loved, and they'd be able to come here and explore what it means to have a relationship with Jesus for themselves? But I believe if we want to just continue to to do that, to take this mission further, we just need to press into that, and to see how can we love others more? How can we show that love to the people around us? How can we be a church that's on mission, right? To fish for all the peoples of this world. That's the calling, right? That we could shine bright like a diamond. Hear my daughter's words, shine bright like a diamond, CBC. Let's pray together.